You're listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. It is Monday, March 29th. Holy Week. Means it's, it is Holy Week. You are correct. Uh, very blessed Holy Week to everyone. Um, and because it is Monday, it is also Mental Health Monday. A special, um, I guess we could say a special edition of Mental Health Monday. We're going to look at something, um, I think, kind of unique that we uh, we get to look at generativity or generativity excuse me i'll get it right here in just a moment uh we're going to talk about that with deaconess heidi gaiman in just a moment thanks to concordia university wisconsin for supporting the coffee hour find out more about concordia university wisconsin at cuw.edu live uncommon it is time to check in with deaconess heidi gaiman happy holy monday to you heidi happy holy monday sometimes my youth a couple years ago decided we should call it psalms Monday. So like really? you share Psalms. Yeah. Mm. And I thought that was a genius idea. So in our house, it's Psalms Monday. So what's your favorite Psalm? I don't know. That's maybe wow. for another day, but yeah. Yeah. Kind of a fun extension of Holy Week. Psalms hmm. Monday. I dig it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I like it. Mm -hmm. All right. So what are we, we're continuing our conversation on generativity. Um, where are we going today with generativity? Yeah, today we're going to talk about specifically our walk of faith and different ways scripture itself points out that we can grow in generativity or this awareness of other generations and the passage of time, but also the the marks that we make with each other as we have our time and space here on earth. And so um, today we're going to talk about each of those scriptural things. And then Sarah has for us some really cool witnesses or testimonies, if you will, of people across history and time, uh, especially women across history and time who have, um, you know, fought the good fight in faith and have gone before us to show us the meaning that comes from um, just hard stuff <laughs> as well as, <clears throat> excuse me, as well as God's work in bringing a voice to various generations across time and space and the, the mark that they leave for us here today as well. So we'll start with, uh, witness witness is the first one. Scripture talks about witness all the time. I think a lot of times we contextualize this as the great commission, you know, to go out and um, to baptize and teach uh, in the name of Jesus. The thing is that uh, witness is all over the Old Testament as well. And so sometimes I think we uh, do ourselves a disservice by making witness so simple as the single commandment from Jesus. Um, and instead, we want to broaden our sense of witness to look at the stories across scripture that God gives us, the witness of scripture itself that says all of these people stood before us and all of the people will stand after you. And God has a big, bold plan in all of that. Um, and so then we also put that into our uh, celebrations and our lives of faith today. Uh, we have witnesses at our baptisms. Uh, we have witnesses even at confirmation and at weddings, and it's referred to. And there's uh, parts where the congregation 
that is gathered go back and forth and acknowledge that they're going to support and affirm the confirmation of faith of a, a young person or an adult, as well as uh, the couple who's getting married. So those places are are formal places of witnesses that we have in the faith that I think sometimes we forget a little bit. Uh, and, and, you know, as godparents, especially we go back to be witnesses to that child and to that uh, adult, even if we have adult witnesses of the baptism to say, hey, I remember this day, it was meaningful for you. Um, and let's see how far you've grown now and where your faith is at now and what God is doing in your life now. Um, that is really powerful when we do that. And in the people of God. Um, you know, we have witness when we sit with our friend who's struggling, uh, and we ask them questions. We have witness when we, uh, share our own stories of struggle with one another, uh, in God's work throughout that time. We have witness when we share that we are more than conquerors in Christ. And those different passages that speak meaning into people's lives, those are witnesses as well. And, and I really think they're more powerful when they're coupled with our individual witness of what we've seen God do and what we see God doing in other people's lives. Because sometimes it's hard to see it, right? It's just really difficult and challenging to see that God is working. And so that's what we call everyday missionaries, to use Greg Finke's term, uh, when we go out and just share that witness with other people. And so Sarah, you have a story for us. Who's our first witness, if you will, in generativity? Yeah, and this this may be, and this is going to sound maybe a little weird, but this may be on like the extreme end of where witnessing would happen. But this was a witness during uh, World War II, which is like my favorite time period to study. Uh, Stanisław Leszczynska uh, was born in Łódź, Poland in 1896 and was raised in a in a loving Polish Catholic family. And she grew up to be a midwife, got married, had four kids. And then World War II comes to Poland in 1939. And of course, we know the, the horrors that go along with all of all of those stories of, of World War II and the Nazi occupation in Poland. Um, and their neighborhood actually becomes part of the Jewish ghetto. So they decide to resist the Nazis um, and help Jews escape Poland. And they were very successful at this for a time, but then they got caught, um, and she and her daughter were sent to Auschwitz. So she ends up working, long story short, <laughs> she ends up working as a midwife in Auschwitz um, in their uh, quote-unquote maternity ward, but of course these conditions at the camp were just really terrible, um, and babies were... Uh, routinely murdered because of, you know, all of those things that the Nazis were doing. But she defied mm -hmm. the orders that she was given. Um, she said that life was worth upholding. Life is precious and a gift from God, and she wasn't going to go along with them. Um, and so she kept these pregnant women and children as safe and as comfortable and as loved as she could during her time there. She ended up delivering over 3,000 babies while she was at Auschwitz, which is a mind-boggling number. Mm -hmm. Only about 30 mm -hmm. of them survived. But those families have all of this uh, gratitude for her and for her witness of God's love and mercy, even in the midst of this um, you know, place of evil and place of hopelessness. She was there as this beacon of God's love to these families and these children. Um, mm -hmm. And her her four kids actually all survived the war as well, and they all grew up to be doctors too, to kind of hmm. perpetuate this 
um, this love and care for our fellow humans that are all uh, precious gifts from God. So I love her story. It's got some really dark spots, but a lot of, of love and hope in it too. Mm-hmm. Wow. I mean, I think that that is, like you said, an extreme example of witness. But I think so often we think we're not called to the extreme until we see it. You know, a lot of times the generativity is seen when you look back and you see the places that God has called you to that you just did the thing that you were mm-hmm. called to do by God. And so I think when you think of these stories that are so incredible, knowing that they just showed up in their time and place is all God called them to. He didn't call them to like think through being amazing, right? Mm-hmm. Instead, he just asked them to be present for the people in their life right there. And I think that's really cool. Andy, do you have any thoughts before we go on? Well, I, and I think particularly just using uh, what the Lord had given her the, the gifts, mm-hmm. the training, the education, the, the skills, um, using all those in, in her witness, in humble service mm-hmm. to her neighbor, mm-hmm. um, just to reflect mm-hmm. on that, you, you talked about not, not, um, really ref- not focusing on being amazing, but just simply using what the Lord mm-hmm. has given you, I think is what I think, what I find fascinating. Yeah, I think too, like sometimes even in our everyday witness, we get a little bit blocked up by the fact that like we weren't going to do something, you know, real phenomenal, um, but instead just have a conversation with someone, you know, or uh, to remind a child that they were a baptized child of God and are loved and worthy and, and honored by the God of the universe. That's a powerful witness to a person in their everyday life. So the next one that we're going to focus on builds off of that, I think, and it has to do with rituals and special days. And so generativity is built in these moments that God gives us to, to honor and celebrate because they go across the generations, right? Um, Easter and how you celebrate Easter is handed down a lot of times in families and certainly handed down from the apostles, from the early church to us today. And we'll do the same. We'll hand it down to the generations to come. And so it, the generativity comes, I think, in the way we reflect on it. Is it just about me in my moment today? Is it about uh, the generations around me that I can see? Am I ever thinking about the world to come? you know, and what God is bringing in the future um, and what I'm leaving, I guess, for that world to come. And so, you know, consider these questions. What special days did your parents pass on to you? You know, what rituals or what types of connections did they make um, for special moments, especially special moments built around God and the gospel? Um, What special days and memories does scripture bring us? Uh, Specifically, I think I always want to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles, even though we don't, you know, we don't do that. We have Jesus. So we always get mm-hmm. to tabernacle with God, right? <laughs> um, but every time I go camping, I think of the mm-hmm. the Feast of Tabernacles and how God was like, I just want to camp with you for seven days and spend this time set apart. Uh, that is a cool thing. And so 
I think there's ways that we can build our awareness of God within our families and then also within our church families, right? You, you don't have to take kids camping in order to create a moment around that. Um, we were just texting with some friends yesterday about possibly going camping together from church. Uh, those kinds of things can also be part of your rituals and special days. You don't have to show up in a sanctuary, although that is certainly a huge piece of this, um, is, is learning and growing together in those places that we have on the church calendar. The last question is, what special days do you want to pass on? You know, which ones do have meaning? And wow, what meaning they have when you know that you're passing them on to someone else, that it isn't just for you in this moment. Um, so yeah, Andy and Sarah, do you guys have any thoughts on the special days in your life and the rituals and special days that you think of in scripture and the ones you want to pass on? Uh, I would say um, this past year, past year or well, two years so or so, um, I have a friend, a new friend who grew up in a tradition that did not observe holidays. Mm -hmm. And that's made me pause and think about the holidays uh, and the, the special days that that I celebrated with my parents when I was a kid and how I want to pass those on, particularly mm -hmm. Christmas and Easter being, you know, really, I think that probably the big holidays of, of the church year. Um, but how I want, to, what memories do I want my child to uh, carry with him of those holidays of Christmas and, mm -hmm. uh, and, and Easter as well. And I think about, reflect on the, the memories that I have and certainly a lot of warm memories around Christmas and Easter. But as you'd mentioned, camping, that was also a very big uh, part of my childhood, going camping with my family during the summer for a week or two weeks at a time. And a lot of great memories from that as well. Sarah, how mm -hmm. about you? I think, I don't know, uh, birthdays maybe, <laughs> um, mm, but baptism mm -hmm. birthdays, especially, I know my parents always send me a card on my baptism birthday, which is cool. Um, and I'm doing that with our, our godchild, uh, making sure that, that she knows about her baptism birthday and, and all of those things. So I think baptism birthdays are a big thing for us, but then of course, like Andy was saying, you know, holidays, Easter, Easter and Christmas and, and all of the, um, other feast days in the church year, maybe that, that, uh, mm -hmm. we don't always recognize, but that are really cool to celebrate and, and remember. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I know you have an awesome testimony for us. We might have to do that one after the break. I'll rely on Andy, the expert timekeeper for that. <laughs> <laughs> it is time for a short right. break. We'll, we'll do that. And then we'll come back and share more. So we're talking, uh, generativity and, um, and witness uh, and uh, walks of faith. You're listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. Take a look around you. Look closely. Immigrants in the United States and their U.S.-born children now number about 81 million people, or 26% of the population. So chances are there's someone right in your community who doesn't speak English as a first language and who doesn't know Jesus. The Lutheran Heritage Foundation can help by providing you with free Lutheran books translated into over 90 languages. See their complete list of catechisms and Bible storybooks 
at lhfmissions.org. You're a miracle. You know that, right? A living, breathing, one-of-a-kind miracle. You were created to stand apart, to share your gifts in the service of others, to make an uncommon impact in a common world. And at Concordia University, it's our mission to help you do that, to live uncommon. To learn more about Concordia, go to cuw.edu. Welcome back to the Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. We are talking generativity in our walks of faith with Deaconess Heidi Gaiman today on Mental Health Monday. All right, Heidi, where would you like to go next? Yeah, Sarah has a, another witness for us, if you will, that we're going to hear. Um, and I think it has to do about the, with the Reformation. And that's a, mm-hmm. a ritual on a special day specifically for uh, Protestant Christians. And uh, I'm really excited to actually see, I think since the 500th anniversary, I've seen a lot more celebrating of it and a fresh understanding of it. And I think that's really healthy and helpful. Um, It's, uh, we want to, for generativity, not just claim this like, uh, idea and knowledge and, uh, like cult like following of Martin Luther or any of the reformers. Uh, you know, if we were a different <laughs> denomination, we might have a cult like following of Calvin or Wesley or something. We don't, that's not what we're looking for for generativity. What we're looking for is this sense of belonging and identity that we have together that we're passing on then and including others into, inviting them into. That's the generativity. And that is so good for our mental health. So tell us about our Reformation reminder of generativity, Sarah. Yeah, and I think this is one of your favorites too. This is a Mm -hmm. uh, Reformation, a hero of the Reformation, and there's a woman hero of the Reformation. There's a very, very, very small category of these women. Uh, (laughs) Argola von von Grumbach was born in uh, 1492 near Bavaria, where her family had the baronial seat. So she was she was in in this uh, very well-to-do family. She grew up to be a noblewoman, a writer and an outspoken supporter of Martin Luther's teachings. So her family was very religious and education was a big thing in her house. So she studied the Bible as often as she could. She actually memorized um, a large majority of it. She also read all of Martin Luther's writings and translations because she would have been growing up during the time that all of these Reformation things were happening. And she also read Melanchthon's writings and she took them all to heart. Uh, She actually started writing letters to Luther and the other reformers in 1522 and wrote a, a somewhat famous one to the University of Ingolstadt on 15, in 1523, defending a professor's teachings of Luther's writings because at this time his writings were forbidden in Bavaria and she was defending this professor who was teaching them. And this is at a time when women's scholarship and uh, opinions about things weren't really expected or respected. So this was a a big deal for a woman to be speaking out in defense of Luther's writings. This particular letter spread like wildfire and it became this booklet, um, at first without her knowledge, of 14 editions and over 30,000 copies in two months, which is crazy at a time Mm -hmm. uh, when when the printing press and all these things were, were still fairly new. Um, Her family actually had societal and political fallout from this because she was speaking out in defense of Luther. 
Um, and her husband at the time had a, a pretty prestigious post that he ended up losing, excuse me, that he ended up losing. Um, but it was so important for her to speak out to theological truth rather than live a comfortable mm -hmm. life. She was willing to die for uh, the, the truth of Christ. So I love her story mm -hmm. and, and her, her gumption in all of this. Mm -hmm. I mean, shocking, a gumption filled Lutheran woman. Like, I just <laughs> love it. I love it. And I love that she had a relationship with Luther, the conversations. Um, she was, I believe, the most published woman of the Reformation. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. And and that also means she was one of the most published people of the Reformation. Um, mm -hmm. And Luther really respected her voice. And I just think that says a lot about the, the denomination that we reside in. Um, and that, yes, we don't have women pastors, but there is this really awesome place for women um, and their voices and even um, appropriate leadership. And I'm just very thankful for that. And so when the Reformation rolls around, um, I like to celebrate her each year as well. That is yes. true. So. All right. So sharing praises will go to next. Um, and Andy, I think you might have some some thoughts on this, too, um, it, especially with the way maybe that you do this in your home. But sharing praises is basically uh, like a biblical concept of the Psalms and the highs and lows that there is both a good in every day and maybe some sorrow in every day. There's good in every life and sorrow in every life um, mm -hmm. and that God giveth and God taketh away. And especially with children, this is really important, um, a very small way, uh, but a very important way to build generativity real young so that when they're older, you know, they, that the place where we really do the work of generativity um, is much less effort, if you will, that it's already a built concept in them that we're always looking to everyone's thoughts and opinions, no matter the generation that they're part of and that their story matters. Um, this also means sharing stories of uh, loss and pain and normalizing trauma and struggle. Uh, when we talk at our family dinner tables about our highs and lows, being willing to hear the lows of the lows um, and being willing to share in them as well as the victories. And so what do you think, Andy, about that? And how do you guys maybe in your own home uh, share those uh, praises as well as those lows? In our home, it's not like a, a specific time of day uh, sp mm -hmm. uh, necessarily. I mean, certainly that d some of those things come up during bedtime prayers. Uh, you know, what, mm -hmm. what would you like to talk about tonight or what mm -hmm. um, what was any special prayers tonight? Um, but in the car, sometimes I'll ask questions like um, rather than what was great about today or what did you like about today? Because it's usually the response is, I don't know, um, <laughs> after school, but rather, mm -hmm. uh, what made you smile or what made your teacher smile today? Um, mm. or what was really hard today? Tell me about one thing you did today or had to do today. that was really hard. Um, rather than what, what was your high, what was mm -hmm. your low or what did you like, or what didn't you like about your day usually results in, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so good, right? that's just yeah. in our household. So, so yeah, I try to yeah. rephrase it as, you know, more concrete. What was one thing that made you smile or made your teacher smile today or made a friend smile today? Um, mm -hmm. I like mm -hmm. to go with those a little more concrete. Yeah, me. that's a good, so. I, that is a really good idea. I think the main part of the um, concept is to make sure that we're including spaces for also um, what doesn't make a smile, you know, what right, you were yeah. talking about, right? right? Yeah, exactly. Tell me about one but, thing that was really hard. Yeah. Yeah. That's really great. Um, and, 
And Sarah, you have a story for us that I think does do some normalizing of that loss and pain, um, as well as someone who I think that usually when you see a picture of them, they're, they have a smile on their face, right? And so um, I'm always amazed by that. Uh, I think uh, you're going to talk to us about Rosa Young. And the one thing mm -hmm. I'll say before you share the story is um, that I think that we do a disservice for so many people and for ourselves in generativity when we nostalgia things. And so uh, Rosa Young and her story in particular reminds us, I think that uh, there is so much uh, joy in life, but there is a lot of hardship. And when we don't listen to that, man, we um, we we rob someone else's generativity. Um, we don't um, allow them to share their story in full. And then that is trapped for the generations. Right. And so mm -hmm. instead, let's share her story in full. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Rosa's story is full of both those those really high joys and those those very low lows. So Rosa Young uh, is someone I think everybody should know about. She was a wonderfully courageous educator and witness to the love of Jesus during the Jim Crow era South. And just thinking about the Jim Crow era South will give you an idea of the kinds of lows that she would have had to live through in her childhood. She was born in Rosebud, Alabama in 1890. And this region was full of poverty and prejudice and racism. But she was determined to bring education to the Deep South in Alabama. Uh, she worked very hard to get her own education. She had a lot of family and community support for her own education. And she went door to door to raise money for a school in Rosebud, which is, a, I love reading about that story in her book. Um, she ended up opening the Rosebud Literary and Industrial School in 1912 to help educate the children in her region. Uh, the Lutheran Church actually helped at a critical time because the Mexican bull weevil uh, devastated the region's agricultural economy a few years after she opened the school. So the the, the region's economy was, was uh, very poor at this time. But the LCMS helped keep the school open and the school continued to grow. Um, and she ended up being able to help uh, educate children about the love of Jesus, not only in Rosebud, but all across Alabama. She traveled. She went years without taking any kind of vacation. Um, through all of this, she did have lots of trial, lots of tribulation, lots of health struggles, lots of pushback uh, because she was working with a German Lutheran church during World War II. Um, but she helped so many children and really spread the love, spread the love of Jesus and, and Lutheranism throughout Alabama. Oh, man. And there's a great film about her as well on the LCMS website, lcms.org. Uh, you can search for the first Rosa great film that, that tells her story there. Thank you, Sarah. You're welcome. Great. Thank you, Heidi. <laughs> Always uh, yeah, enjoy Mental yeah, Health awesome. Monday with you. HeidiGaiman.com. Heidi Gaiman writes on Facebook on Facebook.com. Um, all good stuff. Thank you so much, Heidi. Have a great week. Hey, thanks. We'll see you in a couple weeks. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. KFUO to 41444 or send an email to gifts at KFUO.org and you can call us at 800-844-0524. KFUO, Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. Oh,